What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Eric Sue is the CEO of digital marketing agency Single Grain. Single Grain has worked with companies such as Amazon, Uber, and Salesforce to help them acquire more customers. He is also the author of a new book called Leveling Up, How to Master the Game of Life. In this conversation, we discuss marketing, SEO optimization, relationship banks, how to become IG famous, turning distractions into productive skills, book funnels, and launchpad businesses. I really enjoyed this conversation with Eric, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is OKCoin. OKCoin is a new sponsor, but one that I'm really excited about. OKCoin's got one big thing. There's lots of crypto exchanges to choose from. Whether you're new to crypto, an advanced trader, or an institution, the most important thing when choosing an exchange is typically how easy it is to fund your account and the cryptos you can access through it. I always recommend people to have an account on a regulated exchange so you can easily go in and out of the market using your bank account. Recently, we have seen large regulated exchanges hike up trading and withdrawal fees. That's not very cool. OKCoin is a US-based regulated exchange that serves 184 countries and is super easy to use and offers some of the lowest fees in the industry. What I love about OKCoin as an individual is I can go from registering to verifying my profile and connecting my bank account in minutes. In fact, OKCoin is literally the fastest exchange to go from zero to having a crypto portfolio. You don't have to wait three days for your deposit to show up or upload multiple ID documents or facial scans to get started. They've also been listing popular DeFi assets, and I hear they're working on even more popular listings now. So go check them out at OKCoin.com slash POMP. Again, OKCoin.com slash POMP. Go check out what all the hype's about okcoin.com slash pomp. Next up is CoinList. Smart crypto investors know that it's key to always be early. That is critical to success. Coinbase is built for early adopters. Since 2017, CoinList has been providing early access to the highest quality projects. CoinList Pro has all the features you've come to expect from a professional crypto exchange, including advanced order types, APIs, secure wallets, and low fees. But you'll also get first access to all of the CoinList supported projects if you use CoinList Pro. So in crypto, it pays to be early, and CoinList is where early adopters invest in, earn, and trade the best crypto projects. You can sign up for CoinList today with coinlist.co slash pomp. Again, coinlist.co slash pomp, and you can earn $10 in Bitcoin after you trade 100. So on CoinList, you'll never be late to the party. Head on over to coinlist.co slash pomp, coinlist.co slash pomp. Last up, don't forget that I write a daily letter to over 80,000 investors about business technology and finance. I break down complex topics into easy to understand language while sharing my personal opinion on various aspects of each industry. You can subscribe at pompletter.com. Again, pompletter.com. All right, let's get into this episode with Eric. I hope you guys enjoy this one. 
Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Eric here. Thank you so much for doing this, sir. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. For sure. We're going to try to make this one of the most action-packed, actionable, and information-filled episodes that we've done. Eric is a wealth of knowledge, so let's get into it. Maybe let's just start with your background uh, and kind of what you've done up until today. Yeah, sure. So I'll try to keep it brief. Um, So name is Eric Sue, and uh, I mainly kind of hover in the marketing world. So I got a podcast called Marketing School, another one called Leveling Up. Um, and then there have a couple of businesses. One's a ad agency. Uh, and then one is a software company called ClickFlow. I have operators running those businesses. And then other than that, I just, um, you know, I got a book coming out called Leveling Up. I just try to try to play the game of life. And honestly, like, you know, used to come from an esports background. I was just like, man, like, I just need to find something where I feel like I'm playing a game every day. And honestly, it's just like, it's just business and like creating stuff. So, um, yeah, that's my background. I love it. That's a great way to live life. Uh, as I was thinking through what could we possibly talk about because there is so much stuff, I ultimately settled on uh, you shared a million ideas publicly and I figured I would just throw them out there at you uh, and we can kind of riff on them. Um, the first one I want to go through is SEO. Uh, you have created probably more content than almost anyone I know on this topic. Um, and you have a recent tweet thread that says over 1 million blog posts are published daily. Google is shrinking organic results. SEO is harder, but that's fine because you're strong. Here are a few creative things you can do to drive your organic traffic up. And the first um, kind of uh, suggestion is to buy other websites. Talk through why that's such a good idea. Yeah, so maybe maybe I'll, I'll rewind real quick just to just give paint the some context for people around uh, SEO. So I, I think you know a lot of people right now, especially in tech, um, you know they they do demand generation and all that, and it's like demand generation is just running Facebook ads or Google ads, and like there's actually a lot more than that when it comes to marketing, and so I, I think SEO is one of the most unfair advantages you can establish. Um, because what happens is if you have a lot of traffic come to your website, let's say a hundred thousand or so, you can retarget those people later. Um, you follow them around with those ads. You can, um, you can do a lot more, right. And then you can plug in, you know, other stuff like customer data platforms, email, like all these tools, you know, that you have access to, and you don't have to keep, you know, paying these big app platforms and, you know, you're kind of at their, their, their whim, right. If they decide to ban you, they ban you. So anyway, um, SEO, you know, the two most important things still to this day are content and links, right? You still have to have a lot of great content, a lot of links. And some people that, you know, they make so much money. Um, some of my buddies, they make so much money. They don't know what to do. They don't want to pay taxes on it. So they just deploy the money back into content and links and they just make even more money, right? Uh, that's the game of SEO. You just keep compounding. It's just like investing in stocks. It's just like putting money into crypto. It's the same deal. So um, when I talk about buying websites, the problem with SEO is that it takes too long. People aren't patient, right? It's, it's like 18 to 24 month, probably 36 month journey to start to see some good stuff happen. When I took over my company, um, Single Rain, the ad agency, um, we were doing uh, maybe 4,000 visits a month, which was nothing. Now, you know, we're up to 320,000, which is pretty decent for a marketing website. But we took those tactics and I started another blog with a friend. We went from zero to 4 million visits a month, right? And so it's the same stuff. And so, um, but instead of waiting zero to 36 months or so, or 36 months, we'll just call it that, 
go and look at other websites that have a good, um, in SEO, it's called a domain authority. So, you know, you're scored on a scale of one to 100, zero to 100. Um, you want to buy a site with, you know, maybe 80 plus domain authority. And ideally you might, you could check out some of these, uh, these brokerage websites like flippa.com or FE international. Um, there's a lot of these brokerage websites and you can say, you know what? I don't want to wait. I'm just going to go buy a website. And, um, you know, when I buy the website, I'm just going to go, you know, create a bunch of new content. It's going to rank. And then I'm going to be making a boatload more money. And I can use this website as an acquisition system um, that will pay me in perpetuity and get me more leads instead of saying, I just got to go to LinkedIn, Facebook, or Google and try to buy more leads. What do you see people monetizing with, right? So they go and they buy a website. They've already got great domain authority. Is this they're monetizing through ads on the website? They're selling products, a mixture. How do you see that working? Yeah, you're looking to um, you're looking to arbitrage here, right? Because you're looking for websites that have good traffic that um, that are that are not monetizing the right way, in my opinion. Like if you have a lot of traffic and you're just monetizing off of ads, you're probably not thinking it through, and you're probably just bored of the website. So what I would do is I would reach out to these people and ask if they're interested in partnering up, right? So you might hit them up on LinkedIn. You might go, you know, find their email addresses. Um, you know, you'll find their contact information, and then just hit up a bunch of them and say, you know a certain percent are going to respond to you. And you, and then instead of saying, I'm going to invest in your company, people get kind of like, you know, they don't really want to talk to you if you say that, but I'm going to invest different story or sorry, I want to partner with you different story. And then that's how you get the conversation going. Got it. Another uh, suggestion in this thread was to monitor your decaying content and then update it. Explain that. Yeah. So what tends to happen over time is if you don't tend to your garden, right, it, it, things start to get unruly, right? You know, the, the kale starts to go everywhere, the carrots, and I don't have a garden, I'm just making things up. But, um, you know, the, the, the point is content tends to decay over time if you're not upgrading it. So one example of this is uh, Wikipedia. So Wikipedia, they had this uh, page on Abraham Lincoln over the years, like it first started out with 5,000 words, then it was 8,000 words. And now it's like, you know, 15,000 or 20,000 words or so. Point is people are constantly updating the content over time and Google likes freshness, right? You know, we just use Google as the main search engine. Um, but also like, if you take a look at Yelp or you take a look at TripAdvisor, you have a lot of UGC user generated content. They're constantly, you know, updating it for the website. That's how they get stronger and stronger. It just kind of defends their, their kind of organic search moat. Um, so what you could do is you can use whatever anal analytics tool platform you have and just look at your top posts over time and see if they're losing traffic, right? Um, we actually have a tool that's out there for free. Um, if you just Google click flow content decay, it's totally free and it'll actually monitor like when you're losing like, you know, 20%, 80% of your traffic. The whole idea here is that if you have like a top 10 or top 20 list of posts, because 80, 20 rule, the top 20 will drive the 80% of traffic. Um, you don't want to lose that traffic. So what you're doing ideally is maybe you're adding, you know, maybe a paragraph or be even more content to these, um, you know, every couple months and you're tending to your garden. People just like create content. The problem right now with SEO is like create a you know, million plus blog posts a day and we're just going to leave it, right? It's like you don't buy a car and then, you know, you drive it for two weeks and you're done, right? It's just like you want to make the most of it. Absolutely. The next suggestion is to test titles, tags, meta descriptions to drive a higher click through. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about um, those of you that run ads or like you're testing email subject lines, you're, you're when you're running ads, right? You're testing like on, on Google, for example, you're, you're AB testing titles and a description. Um, or if you're testing, you know, email subject lines, you want to see which one gets a higher open rate, right? So same deal when it comes to, to SEO, 
what you want to think about is, you know, if I have a title, um, you know, marketing blog versus like best marketing blog, you know, updated for 2020 and, and beyond or whatever. Um, the second one is probably going to get a higher click through rate. And so what you want to be doing is, you know, you can use a tool like Google search console, which is completely free. And then you look at your content that has a, uh, this is getting a little into the weeds, but high, you know, it has a high impression count, but a low click through rate. So, you know, Google's showing your post a lot, but you as a marketer or whoever you are, the site owner, you're not doing a good job from a marketing perspective because marketing's job is to bring people to the point of sale, to get people to click, right? So it's the same deal. Like if you're doing title testing for ads or emails, like why aren't you doing it for SEO if you're getting good traffic? Um, and so same deal with ClickFlow. We created a solution to, to make it easier. And I'm not here to, to pump that. I mean, just, you know, Google search console, you can do it completely for free. So. Absolutely. What, what about using frequently asked questions, that schema um, as a way to a better rank? Yeah. So there's actually, um, so what's happening right now with Google is, um, you know, they're, they have to please their shareholders, right? So they actually removed that whole, you know, don't be evil thing. Um, so they're making, you know, they're making the ads look like search results and, um, you know, they're making on certain search engine result pages, like it's hard to see the organic results period. There's like all these snippets and stuff. So, um, what you want to be doing um, when it comes to FAQ schema. So FAQ schema is like, you know, if I type in, um, you know, uh, Anthony Pompliano or, you know, I don't know, um, wardrobe or something like that. Right. So um, people might have an FAQ, like, you know, what, well, what is, you know, what does Pomp put in his hair or whatever. Right. There's like a bunch of other questions. So that pops up as a box and that box, imagine if you're seeing a box on a search engine result page, you're, higher, you're, you're, you're going to be more likely to click that because it's taking up so much real estate. So if you want to implement FAQ schema, talk to your web developer. I would just type in FAQ schema plugin um, for whatever, you know, uh, CMS or content management system that you're using. And then boom, you have FAQ schema for your website. You're going to get a higher click-through rate, hopefully. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to do it, but I would just hand it off to, you know, whoever your, your developer, your engineer is. And then if you have a WordPress site, there's a lot of WordPress plugins for it. Absolutely. So switching gears, you had this tweet about uh, don't ask people for coffee or to pick their brain until you've deposited in the relationship bank. And I yeah. found that uh, concept of a relationship bank really interesting. Explain that. Yeah. So I think, I mean, and I've done this in the past. I mean, I'm sure, you know, um, you have a lot of people that reach out to you asking you to just get coffee or talk to you for five to 10 minutes. And, you know, I actually put this on LinkedIn too. Like, I, I kind of exaggerated. I was like, it's downright offensive, right? Because um, you want to, you know, stir people up a little bit. But, um, I found what, what, what's worked best for me because like instead of asking people, you know, I'm, I'm going to pay $5 for like your most valuable asset, your time, that, that's not an equal trade-off, right? But if I am looking at your tweets, for example, looking at what you're interested in and I offer to help you, maybe I make it, you're like, oh, I'm looking to hire some engineers or whatever. It's like, hey, here are three engineers that I know I happen to have a recruiting agency. Boom. I've actually helped you. I've looked at your stuff that's a little bit, that's, that's saying something. And I've actually gone out and done the work. I'm not making you think about anything. And I'm just gonna, you know, the concept of I'm going to make little deposits every day. Maybe I want to get on your radar, whatever it is exactly. Um, and then at some point I'm going to make a withdrawal, right? I'm not going to make a, a big withdrawal, but my whole thing is like, I, I just like, you know, making more deposits more than anything. So I have a margin of safety. So when I make an ask, it's like not that big of a thing. Um, and I'll give you some examples. I mean, the, there's two people I'm thinking of right now. One guy actually works for VaynerMedia now. When he wanted to work for me, he wrote an 8,000 word blog post, right? The guy went to uh, Michigan and he was like, yeah, here's what I would do. Here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll do. And I'll tell you what, I'll do it for you for free for a month, 
right? And I'm just like, dude, this guy gets me. And, you know, guy turns out to be an all-star and then he's working for, for VaynerMedia now. Um, and another guy, he, um, he's like, hey, look, I, I follow your podcast. I'm gonna, I'll write some emails for you to help you get more conversions and I'll do it for you completely for free for a month. Like, not only are you, not only have you looked at my stuff, you've volu- you, you put together a strategy and then you said you'll do the work and then you said you'll do it for free for a month and you have no ask, like that's the dream. So that's way better than like asking for coffee, especially if you're like trying to ask Warren Buffett for his time, right? Which you probably won't get, so. Absolutely. Another idea is this idea of you don't actually have to talk to the end customer in order to get the customer insights in every situation. Sometimes you do have to talk to them, but other times you don't. What are some of the hacks there? Yeah, so I did, Um, this is, I did two podcast episodes. One was with um, the Level CEO, um, Sam Korkos. And what was fascinating to me was when I opted into, so it's like a, a patch you use to kind of monitor your um, metabolic state. But um, he, he was like, hey, let's get on a 45 minute call. I was like, oh damn, this guy's doing customer development. And when I, when I got on the call with him, I was like, hey, tell me, like how many calls have you done? He's like over a thousand. I was like, holy crap, right? I was like, I, would, I don't think I could ever do that. That's, that's a lot of patience, right? And that, that's like, you know, that's, Great. But anyway, I can't do it. So I talked to the CEO of a uh, superhuman, uh, Raul, and he was like, look, man, like I, I met up with like maybe 30 people, 40 people or so in San Francisco. We had coffee, whatever. Um, and then there's the coffee thing. And then um, I guess it's equal trade. But then he was like, you know what? Um, I just made a simple landing page um, using like Wix. And then, you know, whoever wanted to sign up for the tool could sign up. But then right after they signed up, they would ask them, um, Hey, like, you know, what's your, what's the worst, like your biggest frustration with email? Like, what would you like to see? Right. And then he'll get a ton of responses and he'll just cherry pick the ones he likes. And so he was basically doing customer development at scale because he was getting automated responses. He was cherry picking, but he was just responding really quick to people and that helped guide his customer development. So there's two ways to do it. You can do it the I, I love what Sam Corcos did with levels. And then I would actually prefer Raul's because I'm, I'm lazy. So, Absolutely. Well, and this feeds into the next idea, which is basically a kind of like creating the ideal client profile, right? So whether it's a, more of a, like a, a retail consumer uh, or it's a agency based uh, <coughs> client, um, it feels like knowing who you want to work with is almost as important as knowing who you don't want to work with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's actually a lot of good um, ideal client uh, profile templates out there. But I mean, f- so for our SaaS uh, company, as an example, we might have people that are, um, you know, you have people that are mid-market companies, you have enterprise, and then we try to stay away from small business. But, you know, maybe for mid-market, they're doing maybe 10 million annual recurring revenue. Enterprise, you know, probably, let's just say, you know, hundreds of millions or billions plus, And then they have very specific things they're looking for. Maybe enterprise levels, you know, maybe they're looking for business intelligence more so than like, you know, um, different features for, for the, the mid-market, right? So I'm just saying that you really have to understand kind of who you're going after. Um, and I, actually, here's the thing. I literally just got off a podcast with uh, Justin Kahn from Twitch and I, I asked him about his failures and here's what he said. Um, so Twitch sold to Amazon for a billion dollars, um, great exit. So he was like, you know, the, the common thing with all my, my failures was that um, I didn't do enough um, I didn't do enough customer development. I didn't try to focus on one segment. I tried to do maybe two, three, two, like that's too many segments, right? And that led to, you know, trying to go all over the place and serve everyone. So if you're starting out, focus on one. And then if you're gonna, um, you know, at a certain point, you know, you're doing this for six to 12 months, you'll understand who your ideal client profile is. I think what we did as an agency a couple of years ago was helpful because we looked at, 
you know, the, the lifetime value of each customer. And then we just saw that like, oh, it turns out that we serve SaaS companies the best. They stay the longest and they pay the most and they're like not a pain in the ass. So we decided to focus on being a SaaS marketing agency um, versus everything else, which is kind of all over the place on the map. It also creates this level of like, uh, I want to be in the exclusive club. I want to be accepted into uh, your customer base, right? Which is like a weird uh, dynamic, but it definitely yeah. creates this, uh, this FOMO feeling a little bit. Yeah. You, I mean, you got the power. I mean, it's, um, I think you're creating the right incentives because it's like people want people that, that specialize. You don't want to go to, you, you want to go to like an orthopedic surgeon for like, you know, very specific things or like, a, like an eye doctor, right? You don't want to go to like a general doctor. So. For sure. Uh, you mentioned a couple of really great entrepreneurs. Uh, and one of the things that almost every entrepreneur has that uh, is successful is an advisory board. I've seen you talk quite a bit about the importance of a really strong, successful advisory board. How do you think about that? Yeah. So I think um, earlier in my career, like I would read a lot of books and then people would be talking about, you know, peer groups and advisory boards. So one thing I did, I'm trying to make this practical for everyone. Um, if you Google mastermind talks, um, dinner PDF, you'll be able to find a PDF. And what I did was I gathered like-minded marketers cause I didn't have a business at the time. Um, and you know, I would have them come over to my place. I'd buy dinner. And then, um, you know, we put people in the hot seat. I, I put together like an agenda and everything. So people talk about the latest marketing tactics and strategies, hot seat, one thing they're struggling with. And we all kind of just help each other, right? You, ha you have a little mini community there. And then as you level up through your career, then, um, you know, as you get stronger, then I would say, you know, there's a lot of different peer groups, right? There's uh, entrepreneurs organization, there's YPO, um, and I'm part of both, I, I love both of those. And you get, you get to basically have like a, a mini board of directors, right? So I remember when I first joined uh, EO, uh, entrepreneurs organization, I was, you know, 27 at the time, everyone else was like 35 plus, and they had a way more experience than I did. And what you realize is that you don't know what you don't know, right? And so this group, what they do is, um, they'll, like one guy shared like his cash flow uh, forecast with me, like 10 weeks, I was like, what, what is, what is that, right? And then, um, you know, they're just, what happens is I'll share a struggle and then everyone else will share an experience. They won't give direct advice. And that to me is a little advisory board there because I'm kind of, I'll know what to do next based on what I think I should do. I'm not taking any advice. Um, so that's one example of advisory boards. And obviously I think, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, I, I, right now I'm on a, on a couple of advisory boards for like some, some, um, some companies out there. And, you know, in some cases they're just asking me for advice maybe once a month, like we'll get on a call for like an hour. Um, in other cases I might be a little more involved. Um, but that's another example. You might, you know, give a person maybe like, you know, half a percent, 1%, 2% equity. And, um, you know, you're on their advisory board or you, you have them join yours. Absolutely. Uh, now, the reason why everyone is obviously listening to this is the next question, which is uh, how to become famous on Instagram. Everyone wants to be famous on Instagram. Uh, I saw that you guys did a podcast episode on this that was uh, really, really interesting based on kind of all the different hacks and, and tips. Uh, maybe walk us through kind of how you guys think about that strategy. Yeah. So th this is, um, you know, uh, we have a podcast called Marketing Squad. I do it with another marketer named Neil Patel. Um, to be fair, um, my Instagram isn't super huge. It's like 24K. He's at like a 200K or so. So neither of us are Instagram famous, but we know a lot of people that are and we know what they do. Um, so, you know, the, the one thing that we found to work really well is just siphoning off of someone else's audience. Um, so it's like, if, if, I am, let's say I'm at 24K, what I would do is I might reach out to someone that's at 50K or 75 or 100K. I don't wanna go too big because it's too far up, right? I, like ideally what, what you might wanna do is 
you know, if you're at 24 K, but you have some other assets that you think might be able to help that person. Again, you want to make it an equal trade. So I might say, Hey, look, I have 24 K here, but I might have a podcast over here. That's the angle. And then, um, you know, let's go ahead and do a live on Instagram and boom, all the people coming that seen the live. Now they know, they now know you by association and you get bigger, faster. Um, giveaways always work well. I think there you're going to get a lot of spam and a lot of kind of um, people that are just there to be tire kickers though. Um, but you, you can use a tool like King Sumo giveaways for that. Um, but we haven't been super big on trying to grow our IG fast just cause it's not, you know, both of us, we serve kind of B2B audiences. So, you know, we'll let it grow organically and then see where it goes. But you know, if you do have other assets um, like an email list, that is like an unfair advantage. So, you know, leverage that when you can, especially for growing a podcast, by the way, if you have an email list, dude, unbeatable. Absolutely. And one of the things you do in emails, obviously, is you write copy. Um, I've seen you talk about maybe more landing page copy, but it applies to emails as well. Most people write copy trying to be interesting or trying to kind of catch people's attention, uh, kind of clickbait, right, is the uh, is the terminology. Uh, yeah. You're much more focused on writing copy that uh, highlights you can solve somebody's problem. Right. What's the nuance or what's the difference there? Yeah, I think for me, I just realized that, um, you know, whenever I try to sound interesting, I end up sounding like an idiot. Uh, so, so what I try to do instead is I just try to be helpful. Like that's the only thing that's been, um, that's the one thing that's been super helpful to me throughout the years. It's just, um, you know, if someone needs something, I'll be out there. Like if I find an interesting insight, I'm going to try to share it with people. Um, and like, I'll always ask people like, you know, what do you need exactly? What's the number one thing? Right. And I've, I've naturally, like that wasn't natural to me, but I've learned to make it more of a natural habit. So, um, when I think about like, Oh, like what's something I can, um, what's something of value I can post out there. Um, that lens is a lot more helpful than, Hey, I want to create some content and I want to be famous. I think chasing status more so than trying to be helpful is not the best game. So. Absolutely. And I guess when you're writing that, how do you kind of make sure that you're actually articulating that you can solve the problem? Are there certain frameworks or tests that you run or anything that you say, like, I know that I'm hitting on the right spot rather than just, Hey, I just wrote an email to a bunch of people. I sent it and, you know, cross my fingers and hope it works. Yeah. I'll talk about this in the context of maybe like a Facebook ad. Um, just so I think it covers more. So if you want more tactical stuff, I think, um, you know, there's a book called breakthrough advertising, which is now you can buy for 125 bucks or so. Um, I bought it for 600 cause it was out of print at the time. Highly recommended. It really taps into human psychology. Um, and the, the whole skill of copywriting has not changed. We're all, we all still have the same needs. Um, and there's another book called the 16 word sales letter written by this guy who's a copywriter for, um, Agora, which is, they do over a billion year and they're primarily like a financial newsletter. So that's kind of tactical on that side. Um, for me, what I do is, um, from breakthrough advertising, there's this framework that I use. So it's upside. So it's U P S Y D. And I got this from, um, these digital marketer, digital marketer podcast. And it's basically from the book. So uh, basically you're taking a prospect from unaware to problem aware to solution aware to aware of your solution. So that's the why. And then you, you give them a deal, right? So a video ad can do that, but also a long form Facebook ad can do that too, right? And what I'm looking to do when I do that is, um, you know, what can I do? What kind of story can I tell exactly? And also I'll run the copy through a sentiment analysis tool as well. You can use Grammarly. It'll tell you if your, your, your content's positive or not, but I use a sentiment analysis tool as, as long as it's positive. Um, cause generally you want your content to be positive, then, um, you know, we're, we're good to go. But for me, I'm, you know, I'm just looking to say like, you know, one, one, like 
here's how you do modern day SEO and then boom, 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 here's like a tweet storm. Um, and I'll give a bunch of tactics, right? Like that's what's worked best for me. Um, and yeah, I think that's the framework I use. You also have talked a bunch about um, kind of people who are building companies being vision driven. Uh, I think a lot of people say in a pitch deck or something like, hey, here's our vision for the company, but it's not so much a measurable vision. Um, in the tweet, you talked about Microsoft saying we want a computer on everyone's desk, right? Or SpaceX saying we want to get to Mars and, and something that you can kind of tangibly measure against. Talk a little bit about how you've seen people do this well. Yeah. So, I think when it comes to, um, you know, for me, vision, mission, values, like that stuff used to be like, oh, like that's so intangible. Like what are you supposed to do with that? And then you, you realize the, the vision is what ultimately what matters is the people, right? But if you want to keep the people together at the company, you got to have a great culture. And how do you have a great culture? We need to have a, a unifying uh, vision, right? And so, um, you know, whether it's, you know, we want to put a, a PC on everyone's desk, um, or we want to organize the world's information. That's something that's motivating and something something that people can wake up for every day, right? And I remember um, Howard Marks from from Activision. So he, he's got an interesting story, but he's like, look, you know, we want to. He, his vision is um, we're gonna we're gonna help all entrepreneurs, right? And he's like, well, you say it's broad, but like that's what a vision is. Like it's not supposed to be attainable, but it's supposed to be motivating and inspiring. So I used to have like very specific numbers, like. Um, before I learned all this, I was like, oh, the goal is to make it a hundred million dollar company. Like that's not motivating at all. So now, you know, I got the book coming out. I'm like, oh dude, you know what's easier? Like my mission is to level up the world because I just like learning and I like teaching. And because I do that, that's led to all these other opportunities, right? And it just feels right. And so when you tell your, like when, when people are trying to join your company, like what's the vision? Well, the vision is to level up the world. Like you can wake up and say, Let's do it. Let's do it. Right. Versus like, oh, it's to, to be a billion dollar company. Right. That's like not as motivating. Absolutely. Um, you've talked a lot about um, this idea that people get distracted in today's digital internet based world. Uh, there's notifications, there's sounds, there's flashing lights. You know, you go to a website and literally it's covered with ads. Like everything is distracting. Uh, but you don't necessarily think that that's the worst thing in the world. There's an opportunity to turn that distraction into a productive skill. Explain what you mean by that. Yeah. So I think when, okay. So as an example, um, one of the, like, I don't have many notifications on my phone, but one notification I have on, um, or I had on was Twitter, right? So let's say someone like, uh, let's say uh, James Clear or Naval Ravikant, they tweet. And one of the things you do if you want to grow on Twitter is you respond immediately as the first one, right? As you know. Um, and so that to me is a helpful distraction because that's helping me, you know, build relationships perhaps. Um, and, you know, the other notifications I get, let's see, what, what else do I get? It's, so there's that one. I don't have my, my message notifications on. Um, I'm trying to think what, what else it's kind of escaping my mind right now. Maybe we can come back to this one. Maybe it'll just hit me. Okay. The yeah. other thing that I, I think is really interesting is you've been running uh, Twitter ads. And uh, when I came on uh, and talked to you last time, uh, it was kind of this idea, like nobody's really running Twitter ads. So like maybe there's a mispricing there. How have you thought about that uh, kind of experiment and, and what have you learned? Yeah. I'll, I'll just talk about mispricing in general. I, I think um, so Twitter, I think, is very underpriced attention because um, it's we're running, we're spending like a hundred dollars a day. We should probably be spending more, but we're just promoting certain blog posts. And so there's um, 
there's a very big stock exchange that's one of the um, my, my ad agency's clients, and um, they saw a, a Twitter ad that I had up that was mainly targeting SaaS people, and um, the email thread read was like it was like why aren't we getting this fire? Like, like we, we want this, right? And that led to a whole, you know, upsell conversation um, and led to the contract getting bigger. And not only that, um, you know, we got a ton of qualified um, SaaS leads from that. And so it just makes a lot of sense because some of the smartest people in the world are hanging out on Twitter, right? And so whether I want to target e-commerce or SaaS or other, like, or even like uh, you got, you, you had Andrew Wilkinson on this podcast, he targets VCs on there to get them to sell, you know, you know dead zombie companies to him, right? So um, I think the intention's heavily underpriced and he's, he doesn't spend that much either and, you know, talking to him. And so I think that's a great example, but I think, you know, with upcoming book too, I'm like, okay, what's underpriced? You know what? The gaming influencers out there that have a couple hundred thousands or millions of subscribers, I'm like, dude, I'm talking to all these agencies right now. Like the CPMs or the, the cost per thousand impressions to, to, to try this, like, I'm like, man, I should just, if it works, I'll do this all day. Because if you look at the Tim Ferriss book, he really targeted mommy bloggers, a lot of bloggers in the, in the early days. And I, I think it was underpriced attention, got them to help promote. That's, that's what I think happened. Um, but same deal here, right? So I think if you can, if you, if you think you have a good, um, if you're good at sniffing out the underpriced attention, go all in on it, right? So. Absolutely. Um, you've got a book that's coming out called Leveling Up. Uh, talk a little bit about why write a book. Uh, you've got all these great skills in terms of reaching people on digital platforms. Uh, some people would say, hey, a book's pretty antiquated. What, what was the thought process there? Yeah. So, wow, there's a lot in there. So, um, the, the reason I decided to do the book is not to try to make money. And by the way, like I could have gotten an, an advance from it. We, we went through this hybrid publishing model where I have control of the rights and yet it's going to be going through a publisher. I can do all the marketing stuff I want to do, like book funnels and things like that. Happy to talk about it. Um, and I was like, look, I think this message needs to get out there because, you know, there's 3 billion gamers in the world. Um, and, you know, me growing up, I used, I spent so much of my time playing, uh, you know, poker, first person shooter games, you know, uh, a lot of MMORPGs. And I'm like, look, my parents used to look down on me. My, my friends used to look down on me saying it's a waste of time and all that. But I'm like, the time I spent, all those skills are actually just like sports. They're a gateway into the real world. Um, yes, you are like, when you're playing a game, it is kind of a shadow world, but take those skills, translate it into the real world. And honestly, every day right now, Pomp, like, I feel like I'm playing a game. Like I can do podcasts. I can work on this. I can work on that. I'm just jumping around. It's just so fun. And so that's why I decided to do it. Hopefully if you can, you know, change a few people's lives, that's great. But I think it's the message um, that's more important to me than anything. So hopefully, you know, we're able to spread the message. Um, and again, it's not to try to make money, um, not to try to, you know, didn't make any money off of it um, out the gate. And then what I would say too is, um, you know, if you want to talk about promotion, happy to talk about it, but I, I do. What is, what's a book funnel? So a book funnel is, and I'm sure you've seen this. Um, there's a lot of people running Facebook ads right now um, or maybe even Google ads to they'll be like, Hey pomp, like I'll give you my book free, but all you have to do is pay shipping. What happens when you do that is you put your credit card information in though the next page, you know what? I got some other stuff to sell you. And usually the conversion rate on the next page is around 10%. And so if I, I, if I have a book, maybe, maybe you might say, Oh my God, I'm, you're Eric, you're losing money. Cause you're, you're, you're just like, you're giving the book away for free and you're shipping it and all that. But my next page might have a, an offer. That's maybe $30 or a hundred dollars or so. Let's say it's a hundred dollars converts at 10%. There's your $10 right there. You're basically self. You have a, when you have a book funnel, 
you have more control, you can actually make money on that initial campaign and then you can sell whatever you want um, in the back end when they're on your email list. That's the entire play. That's what these all, a lot of these internet marketers have been doing. Um, and if you want to start a, a book funnel, there's software called ClickFunnels and they literally have a template that you can use to build a book funnel. So that's why we, we went hybrid because after we make this initial push, um, we're probably going to switch and, and really use our marketing prowess. If you guys are so good at doing this, which obviously you are, uh, why even mess around with any of the book publishers? You know, you didn't get an advance um, yeah. and it sounds like you have a ton of flexibility. What, what was the advantage to working with them? Yeah. So there's, um, there's this book I really love called The Coaching Habit. And, um, you know, my publisher is called Page Two and they, so I just wanted to work with them. And, um, you know, the, the guy that wrote uh, The Coaching Habit, uh, Michael, he was like, yeah, they're a pleasure to work with. They know exactly what to do. So they were basically telling me what I needed to do. Like I got all this stuff done with the book. They did, they handled the cover. Like I have these badges in the book. It just looks good. Right. Like the process was iron tight. Because um, I, I just wouldn't want to deal with like, you know, all this other stuff. So um, the process was locked in and um, they told like they have their sales team working on it right now. They're like, and so for winter, they're like, um, the book is going to be our lead book. I was like, well, what does that mean? And they're like, oh, it's going to be the main thing we focus on. Um, so I was like, okay, that's exciting. So there's this element of the book, will, you know, this pre-COVID, I was like, okay, this book's going to appear in the airplane bookstores or not airplane bookstores, the airport bookstores. Um, they're like, yeah, we're going to sell it to Barnes and Noble and all that. All that's gone now. So, but the problem is I signed the contract already. So that additional benefit of, uh, you know, their sales team helping with all these physical locations has kind of diminished, but that was one of the major benefits in addition to the process. Got it. And so what else are you guys doing kind of under your own control for somebody who's listening, who wants to launch a book? You've got the book funnel idea, which is fantastic. Anything else that you guys are doing that uh, you think will be very valuable? Yeah. In terms of promoting a book. Yes. Yeah. So the things I honed in on, so, um, we talked about the gaming influencer. So, you know, we're using, um, we use a tool called follower wonk, which can, can search people's Twitter bios. And a lot of these gaming people, they put their email, their emails in the, the bio and they always use like a dot GG, um, you know, at the end of the, the email. So we, we found a bunch of emails through that and then, um, just kind of sorted by number of followers. And then we use another tool called tensor social to find a bunch of gaming influencers, um, you can, you can basically search for the industry and then sort by engagement rates. And then you can actually find their emails as well and export it. Um, so there's that. And then we, um, we're going to be using Facebook ads and then, you know, driving them to a contest as well. So for gamers, we have a contest where it's like, you can win a new Alienware computer, a new gaming chair, new headphones and all that. And, you know, um, for the main entry, it is to basically uh, maybe it's subscribe to our YouTube channel or get on our email list or whatever. You can give like three points here, two points here, whatever. And so th hopefully that the contests tend to work really well, but we're also giving away, um, you know, the first chapter of the book away for free. And then the final thing I'll say is um, podcast tour. That's the biggest thing, right? So that's, that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm getting on a bunch of podcasts right now. That pushes books because naturally, you know, people are listening to this podcast for you, but also like whatever the, the guest tends to say, um, if they you know, align with that message, then great. So. Absolutely. If people buy the book, what are they going to learn in it? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, the book is basically, it talks about, it compares the world of gaming versus business, right? So there's an anecdote about gaming and then there's a business comparison and how it's exactly the same thing. And then there's a quest, like something to do at the end, right? Where you can kind of build up, you know, those habits for yourself. Essentially the entire book is about creating the right habits and leveling up from that perspective. 
because in life, I mean, there's um there's a wealth ladder concept that um you know another entrepreneur, his name's uh, Nathan Berry, he, he created it, and so you know I, I I would argue that the first thing you want to do is you want to build the right habits. Um, obviously, you want to learn the right skills, and then you maybe you start working for someone, right? That's you know what your parents want you to do, and eventually you get, the next step is you know you might freelance somewhere, and then the next step after that is you might build an agency, right? Or you know, rewinding a step, you might uh, build a drop shipping business and then you might build an e-commerce business where you have the inventory and then you can move on to the next step, right? Where you eventually you have like a platform business, um, you have a network effects business, um, or you even have like a SpaceX or something like that. But the whole idea here is you're, you're continuing leveling up to level up. Um, and it's all, it's, it's all rooted within your habits first. Cause if you don't have the good, if you don't have good habits, like you're not going to be able, you don't have the right foundation to level up to where you want to go. Yeah. How much of kind of the leveling up and, and going from the platform business strategy is uh, you're just practicing? Like you're literally acquiring the skills and getting better and better and you can go bigger and bigger from that versus something else is at play. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, um, it's, you're just, you constantly, one of the things, um, so one of our core values for, for the agency is, is um, growth, right? You're, so you're constantly seeking growth and you're constantly seeking how to improve and then also improve, you know, the, the world around you. Right. And ultimately at the end of the day, you know, whatever's going on politically, like, um, you know, that's, that's how you add value to the world and that's how you become successful. Um, and so I, I think that's what it is. I mean, you create your own luck that way. I think it's, um, you know, as long as you make sure that, you know, you're constantly optimizing yourself and you're, you're iterating, um, no way you can't level. I, I just think there's no, like, if you have, the right habits and you have, you're hanging out with the right people. There's no way in my mind that you can't become, you know, the success that you want to become. Right. So I just think, you know, everything I was told, you know, growing up in Asian family, like, um, you know, your, your fate's kind of determined and all that. I'm just like, none of that makes sense. So a lot of the messaging, the way you were programmed growing up, I'm trying to unwind that programming. Absolutely. You are one of the best marketers in the world. Uh, how would you say people who want to get better at marketing uh, can go do that? Is it finding other people? Are there specific books, courses? Like, like what would your recommendations be? Yeah, I'll, I guess I'll just share kind of my story around that. Um, so I was working a dead-end job coming out of school. So this is when the financial crisis hit um, and I was doing data entry. And um, my friend who was working at American Apparel at the time um, now works at Airbnb. She was like, you should check out this, this digital marketing thing, got an internship. And what happened with the internship? It was a free internship. And then what I found out afterwards is hilarious. Uh, but they hired a cohort of 12 interns and they had us writing all these articles. Right. And by the same time, they gave us all these digital marketing courses. So what I did was I would come back from work every day and I would basically come back at like, you know, three or 4 PM. I'd come to work early. Um, and I'd study till 12 AM. Right. So I'd, I'd go through all these courses and I'd just go, whatever I picked up on, like, Oh, SEO, I just go deeper on and go to Google. Um, and anyway, what happened was for that, that internship, they um, were basically using us as content writers for free. Right. And they had a bunch of content created and they started ranking for all this stuff. So, um, but anyway, I kept going deeper. I, I went deeper on like SEO, for example. And I actually ended up going to this blog called Quick Sprout, which is um, at the time it was my uh, podcast co-host, Niels. It was his blog. And you know what I did was I would try to email these people all the time because I'd have follow-up questions, right? I learned something. So I was, I was not only learning, I was asking follow-up questions. And eventually it got to the point where people like me or other people whether it's me pestering them or whatever, um, they're like, dude, let's just get on the phone. So we got on the phone and eventually with Neil, um, we ended up meeting at a Taco Bell in Orange County down in, in California. And uh, that's how we became friends. But that same process, that template where I was just learning, 
And then I was also um, asking questions or I was learning and trying to add value to people kind of like, like how we talked er about earlier. That's how I built my network around marketing where I could continue to ask questions because the stuff you learn online, maybe it's like 90 to 95% of the stuff people are willing to share. The problem with marketing is if you talk about it, everyone starts to do it and then your tactic becomes um, invalid or your strategy. So you typically just like with business and like these uh, business or marketing, you want to hold five to 10% of the things and not share it. Um, so ideally that's why you build your network of, you know, smart business people or smart marketers. Absolutely. Where can people go find the book? Yeah. I mean, they can um, go to their favorite online retailer, just type in leveling up Eric Sue. Um, or, I mean, you can get a free chapter of the book, um, you know, at levelingup.com. Awesome. Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah. Um, there's me on Instagram at Eric O S I U. Same thing with Twitter at Eric O S I U. Those are probably the, the best two spots. Awesome. Before we wrap up, I ask everyone the same two questions and then you'll get a chance to ask me one. Uh, the first question is what is the most important book you've ever read? And you can't say your own. Yeah. Uh, most important book. I, I, I thought about this. Um, a while back, but I would say the most, the one that comes to mind first right now is the hard thing about hard things, just because the entire book is about struggle. And that's basically what life is. So, yeah, that's a fantastic book. Uh, ben Horowitz uh, from Andreessen Horowitz. Um, highly recommend that one as well. Uh, second question is more fun. Aliens, are you a believer or a non-believer? Believer for sure. Wasn't there just something that just came out about how there's like 300 million like galaxies or something? 300 million planets supposedly oh exist. Oh. I always joke and say when I was in middle school and high school, there was only nine. And we were in the big debate was this Pluto a planet or not. Now we're at 300 million. So I don't know what, how we went from nine to 300 million, but uh, that's where we are. Well, how do we know anything? That, that's my whole thing, right? I, I would say still as human beings, we're fairly primitive right now. Like, how do we know, you know? So... Well, we probably don't, right? It's probably some estimated guess of like, oh, we could see, you know, X number of square miles. Here's how many planets are in those square miles. So like, yeah. you know, if you multiply that by the number of square miles we think are out there, like this is what it could be, right? So, some right. math like that, I'm sure. Yep. What question you got for me to wrap up? Uh, I would say, what do, you, what do you think? So, we, you know, Winklevoss twins are like, it's going to go to 500K. Where, where do you think Bitcoin's going? Oh, like over a long period of time? Because their whole thing was the 500K uh, over time, right? Yeah. I don't think they put like a time frame on it. Yeah. Uh, I tend to think that they will look uh, very, very bearish with only a 500K number on it over yeah. a long period of time. You know, I'm talking 20, 30 years. I think for sure we'll see uh, a million plus dollars uh, Bitcoin. Um, the big question is, because I think you'd get to like about a million if you got to 2X the gold market cap. Right. So like, you know, not, not unreasonable uh, over a really long period of time. Um, the number that I've put out publicly more short term is hundred K by the end of next year. We'll see. Right. Uh, so far, so good. Uh, right. We're, 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 uh, we're trending in the right direction, but, uh, as we know, this thing has a, uh, has a mind of its own and super volatile and, uh, and we'll rip people's faces off in both directions. So, uh, yeah. you know, we'll just wait till, uh, the end of December, uh, 2021 to see what, uh, what happened. I love it. Awesome, Eric. Listen, thank you so much for doing this. I think people are really going to enjoy this. Uh, highly recommend the book. Highly recommend them following you on social media. And uh, we'll have to do it again in the future. Thanks for having me.